You're listening to the international hit show, The Baby Names Podcast. And here are your hosts, the Moss Sisters. I'm Jennifer Moss. And I'm Miranda Mendelson, subbing in for Mallory. And we're the family behind babynames.com. And our first segment is always interesting names we found since the last episode. Well, I wanted to tell the story of when I was waiting for my x-ray. The tech called a boy who was about eight or nine years old before me and had to verify his name. The kid said his name was Vaughn. And the tech said, do you have another name? Because that's not what's on the record. And the kid was like, oh, wait, and then shouted back, Ma, what's my real name again? (laughs) And then she shouted back, Giovanni. And the tech accepted that. And I couldn't believe that a kid his age, like nine years old, wouldn't know his real name. How do you not know your real name? I guess nobody called him that. (laughs) Yeah, nobody must have called him that. But Giovanni is a cool name for a little kid. Definitely. Well, I looked up the Saints Day for May 7th, and according to Catholic Online, there are a bunch of them. Some cool names are St. Flavius, St. Juvenal of Benevento, St. Ludhard, St. Quadratus. Quadratus? I think so. Quadratus? Quadratus? St. Rose Venerini, St. Serenitus and Serenus. Mm. And St. Villainous. My favorite St. Villainous. That sounds evil. Okay. I have a couple cool saints names for my birthday coming up on May 10. St. Solange. St. Alpheus. St. Aurelian of Limoges, like the crystal. St. Calibodius. And St. Epimachus. Sounds like one of my favorite names. Telemachus. Wow. Okay. So if I had been a boy, you would have named me Telemachus. (laughs) Telemachus. Telemachus? No, you would have been Alex. Your dad would never have gone for Telemachus Mendoza. Oh, it has a ring to it, though. (laughs) Okay. Today's topic is the history of English names. And our guest is Kevin Stroud, creator and host of the History of English podcast. Kevin has been a practicing attorney in Raleigh, North Carolina for 25 years, but his side interest in the practical use of English led him to explore the history and development of the language and launch the History of English podcast, which has been live since 2012. But today, specifically, we're talking about names. Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to talk about names today. Great. First of all, what ignited your interest in the history of English? Well, it's a long story. It it probably has something to do with the fact that I am a practicing attorney Mm -hmm. and I deal with the English language every day. I draft a lot of documents. That's mainly what I do, contracts and trusts and those types of things. And just always being fascinated Um, with the language and and really the practical use of the language. I always make it very clear I'm not an English major. I don't have a degree in English. I'm I'm an attorney. And so my uh, interest in language is more the practical application of language, uh, which is what I do in my job. And uh, I've just always been fascinated by where words came from, how the language developed. And uh, that was really my gateway into the podcast because 
I just started researching the history of the language, uh, etymology, and the, the you know the overall development of the language, and I just found it to be a fascinating story. And uh, like you said, back in in 2012, I decided to start the podcast. That's great. I've always had an interest in etymology as well, and I think that led me to onomastics. So, how do you feel that language and names are kind of interrelated? They're connected in many different ways. Uh, one of the things that's fascinating is the way that the history and development of names tracks along with the history and development of the language itself. And what I mean by that is if you were to go back in time a thousand years and go back to the old English period and look at what's called the English language, you probably would not be able to recognize it in writing or understand it if you heard someone speaking. It was a completely different language yeah. in, in many respects. Uh, and the same is true for names. The names of the people during that period were radically different from the names that we use today. And so it was you know, a reflection and product of the culture at the time. Uh, and then, of course, the language changed in 1066 in the years that followed when England was conquered by the Norman French. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. It not only changed the English language, but it changed the names yeah. because all of those kind of old, funny-sounding Anglo-Saxon names, old English names, uh, most of them disappeared and were replaced with you know, much more common and familiar French names, which uh, you know we tend to use today. Let me give you a few examples. You know, when people think of Old English, there's probably only one major piece of literature that people think of, and that's Beowulf. Yeah. Uh, and. And Beowulf is a very classic kind of Old English Anglo-Saxon name. A lot of names from that period, in fact, almost almost all names that you come across are, are, are a combination of two elements. They're almost like compound words. And Beo actually meant bee, like a honeybee. And wolf was a very common element in names. It not only meant literally a wolf, but it, it, it more generally meant a hunter. And so Beowulf literally means bee hunter and was probably used as a, a poetic compound, what's sometimes called a kenning, uh, for bear because a bear was a bee hunter, looks for honey. But, but that's kind of how these names work. I mentioned wolf. Uh, another common Anglo-Saxon name was Athelwolf. Mm. It was very very old English, very Germanic. And uh, Athelwolf, you know, we don't really use that name anymore. It's obviously disappeared. But the German language had essentially the same name. Now, we have to keep in mind that Old English came from an earlier Germanic language, which also produced German. And so the two languages are, you know, historically related. And German had the name Athelwolf as well, which became the name Adolf. Yeah. Within, we do have that name in English, but we've borrowed it from German over time. Uh, but the same basic root, you would find, uh, you know, other Old English names with wolf. You would find Wolfstan, Wolfric. Uh, and again, connecting it to German, you have the name Wolfgang. Yeah, Wolfgang, yeah. Wolfgang. And so, you, you again, you see that element wolf very common uh, in, in the older older names. Uh, Athol is another common element. I mentioned Athelwolf. You would have found names like Athelstan, Athelbert, Athelbald, Athelred. 
Athel was a word that meant noble. And so it's very common, particularly among you know the, the kings and, and the royal courts, to find that name. Uh, it is ultimately the origin of the name Ethel. Ethel, you know, it's kind of an, kind of an old-fashioned name, you know, today. With not a, I don't know, maybe there are, are, you know, children, babies being named Ethel, but I just associate it with more of kind of an old-fashioned name. But it does go back to the original Anglo-Saxons. By the way, Ethelbert, which was an Anglo-Saxon name. Bert meant bright in, in Old English, so it meant bright noble. Uh, German also had that name, and it produced the name Albert. So it's kind of a contraction then of the longer name. Right, and it, so this happened. These names got condensed over time. Uh, I'll give you a few others since we're talking about Old English names because these are kind of fascinating. Uh, you have Os, O-S, meant God. And so several names had that. Osgar, garment spear. So we have that in the word garlic, mm-hmm. because garlic is literally a gar leek. It's a spear leek. It's a, a leek or an onion-shaped vegetable that kind of looks like a spear. Well, anyway, Oscar is literally God, spear, or spear god, became the name Oscar, O-S-C-A-R. Oh, right, And yeah. uh, Oswald is another one. Wald, wailed in Old English, wailed meant ruler. So Oswald... Oswald became Oswald. It means God ruler or divine ruler. Uh, And then, of course, the the Anglo-Saxons had the word God. God is an old English word. So Godric, Godwin, uh, Wien means friend. So Godwin is friendly God. Uh, Alfred, one of the most famous kings of the Anglo-Saxon period was Alfred the Great, the only English king to bear the name the Great. Alfred is also, of course, an old English name comes from from a combination of the word elf and raid, which meant advice or counsel. So it meant spiritual advisor, sort of. But um, Alfred survives, uh, and most of the other names that survive begin with the name Ed, E-A-D, Ed, which meant blessed. So we have Edward, blessed guardian, Edwin, blessed friend, Edgar, I mentioned that word gar earlier, meaning spear, so blessed spear, Edmund, those names have survived. And beyond that, there really aren't very many Old English names. A few female names have survived. I mentioned Ethel, uh, Edith, Edith. Of course, in Old English, it would have been very different. It was more like Edgeth or something like that, but it was. it survives Edith, Audrey, Oh, that's a popular name now, Audrey. Yeah. Old English would have been uh, Ethelthrith. So <laughs> that, that one's really changed. Uh, Mildred. Mildred would have been Mildrith. Uh, mild plus the word thrith, which meant power or strength. So mild, mild power or mild strength, but Mildred. Like quiet strength. Yeah, that's cool. So it was pretty much, were they describing the person's characteristic then you would use these names? Perhaps, though, as far as I know, many of these names were given at birth. Mm -hmm. So they were perhaps, uh, you know, the parents um, imbuing upon the child some aspect that they wanted, you know, hope the child would have, perhaps. But in many cases, these were probably also family names, uh, names that, you know, existed within the family. There weren't that many. I think in looking through Old English documents, you tend to come across a lot of the same names over and over again. And, and that, by the way, continues to be a theme as we look at names during the uh, Middle Ages. 
there there just was a, seemed to be a limited supply of names. So then you said the Norman Conquest, 1066, kind of changed everything. So how did then the French and Latin influences have their effect on English baby naming? Well, the Norman conquerors, uh, when they arrive in 1066, they essentially impose the French language on England. And a lot of people don't realize that for the next two or three centuries, the official language of England was French. And wow, the French, I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. And the French, I mean, the, the, the common people, the peasants, you know, they still spoke English, but the ruling class, the barons and the nobles wow. and the aristocrats, they all spoke French and Latin. And so they, they really looked down on the English. They looked down on their language. They considered it a peasant language, a mere mm. local vernacular. The language that mattered was Latin and French. Uh, those two languages were most important. Latin was used in the church and in government business, and French was the language of the court. And France was such an important country in Western Europe. It was such, still such an important language that uh, you know everyone was uh, with any high birth and uh, education was expected to speak French. So and ultimately, what happens is these Anglo-Saxon names start to get stigmatized, and it, that filters down. And at some point, even the commoners, even the English speakers uh, within England, became self-conscious apparently, and by and large, they stopped using those existing Anglo-Saxon names, and they started to adopt names mostly from French uh, or from the church, names that came from the Bible. Mm -hmm. So just give you a few examples. French names, even though these have been Anglicized over time, but we have names like William, Stephen, Henry, Robert, Richard, Roger, Jeffrey, Alice, Matilda. Matilda was a very common uh, female name at the time. And so these are all names basically, you know, borrowed in from French. You'll notice a lot of uh, royal, you know, king names there, William, Henry, Richard. Right, these yeah. Again, these were, uh, you know, the, the royal family of England, you know, the Normans and then the Plantagenets mm -hmm. all spoke French for the most part and uh, used those names as well. Names that came from the church, names like John, Thomas, Nicholas, Catherine, Margaret, Joan, Mary. So these names came in as well. But even in, in the names I just mentioned, for the most part, most people settled on just a few of those. Uh, for example, boys mainly were named William or John. And, and there are some interesting anecdotes about that. There are records from Sheffield in England from the late 1300s, tax records. And it lists a little over 700 men by name, and over half of them were named John or William. There was it's just such a common name. Uh, Henry II was king in, in the 1100s. Uh, he held a court in Normandy uh, one year across the Channel in France, and the chronicles from the period mentioned that there were 110 different knights at court, all named William. Oh my God! So they it was just for whatever reason they just settled on like those two names. Mm -hmm. For girls, it was mostly Joan, Margaret, and Matilda. And it's really difficult if you're trying to read the history of this period, because it seems like every queen, every prince, princess, I mean, almost every female character you encounter is named Matilda. And so it's, it became very difficult. And that 
is probably one of the factors that encouraged the development of surnames or second names. Right. I was just going to get to that. So there was had to be some way to differentiate all these Williams and all these Toms and say that guy over there or the guy who lives over by the stream or the guy with the red hair. These are all ways that surnames were developed. Exactly. And a lot of people don't realize that surnames are really, they're, they're rare and almost unheard of before the, the late Middle Ages. Uh, you know, if you go back to you know, ancient Greece and, and of course, the, the Norse um, tribes and, and, you know, other tribes throughout Europe, most of the history, the people you encounter have one name. The exception to the rule is Rome. Romans had a, a more complicated naming system where they did use multiple names, you know, Julius Caesar, Mark Anthony. But that was very much a, the exception, very unusual. So a, as we you know get into the 1100s and 1200s in England, again, people still used one name. They, they didn't really have surnames. But we have this problem now. Everybody's not just using a small group of names, but they're really just settling on these, you know, two or three different names. Everybody's using those. And I would assume that there's a lot more people coming in as well. So exactly. cities and towns are getting bigger and bigger, right? Exactly. Yeah, you've got the growth of cities, which is important. And then associated with that is government administration, record keeping. The Normans basically imposed what we today call the feudal system on England. Uh, it didn't really exist you know, before the Normans. So with that comes this large bureaucracy and comes taxes. <laughs> yeah. And record keeping, right? Record keeping. A lot of factors tie into the development of surnames, and we can explore that, but and very often cited as the biggest factor was taxes, because in the 1300s, the English government imposed what they called a poll tax. Now, a poll tax was a new thing, very unusual, in that it was a literal tax on everybody. Usually, the landholding class paid the tax. The nobles, the barons, the people with wealth. The peasants may have paid fees and fines to their lord, but they didn't really pay taxes in the traditional sense. But suddenly, in the 1300s, the government steps in and levies a tax on everybody, over at least over 14 years of age. And that meant that the record keepers had to go out to the countryside and, and make sure everyone was paying because initially everyone didn't pay. They, got, they avoided paying it. So the tax collectors were sent out, started to keep very detailed records. And, and that is really more, a lot of other factors, but that's really one of the main factors in the development of surnames and especially hereditary surnames. Right. Because if you, if you look at the development of surnames, what you see is there was an initial stage where people very often had a second name or a surname, but it wasn't hereditary. Meaning it wasn't passed down to generations. Right. It was unique to the person who had the name, and when they died, the name died with them. But once you get into the 1300s, the names start to become hereditary. So you see the, the children and grandchildren carrying on the name. And so now, now we have kind of modern surnames. And most modern surnames uh, that came out of the British Isles anyway, we can trace back to the, the 1200s and 1300s. 
forming these surnames. You know, I talked about there's place names like the Bill who lived over by the field. And then we had occupational surnames as well, which we did a whole episode about because those are becoming really popular as first names like Parker, Thatcher, Sawyer. And tell me about how those came about. Occupational surnames really developed with the rise of the cities. Uh, During this period of time, again, we're looking at the same general time frame, 1200s, 1300s, um, cities were starting to grow. And this is the period during which the medieval trade guilds and crafts guilds started to develop and, and become very important institutions. And as the towns grew, people moved in, they started to develop specialized trades and industries and crafts. Uh, whereas previously, people were kind of, you know, jack of all trades, you could kind of do a little bit of everything. Now, labor was getting to be more specialized. So if you needed a shoe, you know, you went to the shoemaker. If you needed you know, metal work, you went to the blacksmith. You know, you went to specialized occupations. And that really lended and, and helped to, to lend to these occupational surnames because now people were basically doing one job, you know, and they, they, they were associated with that job. And so that became part of their, their name, part of their moniker. And again, going back to the idea of hereditary surnames, you know, businesses were family businesses by and large. If you were a blacksmith, chances are, you know, your son was going to be a blacksmith too and would take over the business. And so again, if you were Smith, you know, one of the most common mm-hmm. surnames in uh, in English comes from obviously the word Smith meaning a craftsman. Uh, if you were a blacksmith, your son was likely to be a blacksmith. His son was likely to be a blacksmith. So that name tended to get carried on through several generations. But what you're right, though, in that the occupational surnames can be extremely detailed and specific. I mean, we think about the cloth making industry and and you may not realize how many different jobs there were in the cloth making industry. And each one of those jobs you know, has a, a, an occupational surname associated with it. So you have, you know, Weavers and Webster's and Fuller's and Walker's, Taylor and Sherman. You know, if you're if you're making leather, you've got Skinner and Tanner. Yeah, you know, they're, they're all very specific jobs. And uh, so, yeah, all these names develop over time. And again, they just they pass into the culture. Most of these names not all of them, but a lot of them are actually French in origin. In other words, the the word that they're based upon comes from French. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a name like Fletcher. Fletcher was an arrow maker. Comes from a French word. Joiner was kind of a, a carpenter or craftsman that joined, you know, pieces of wood together. Wright, uh, another word for craftsman, uh, an Anglo-Saxon word. But a lot of these are actually French in origin. And you also said that sometimes physical appearance or personal characteristics came into the surnames as well. Yeah, for surnames, you're looking at four main categories, occupational surnames, locational surnames, which you mentioned, uh, which can be geographical features like hill, rivers, bush, or specific town names, Lincoln, Washington. Uh, You know, one of my favorite is uh, Townsend. Townsend is literally the town's end. It's somebody that lived on the edge of town, you know. 
Uh, so you've got locational names, uh, ancestral names. We didn't really talk about those, but they're worth mentioning. They're names that literally indicate who your parent was. So if your father was Jack, you're Jackson. Right. That's a huge name right now. Harrison, Jackson. Richardson, Thompson, Stevenson. Of course, in the in the Celtic fringe, you have you know, McCain, McDonald, the, the Mick, mm-hmm. again, is a, a naming element that means son of or descendant of. Same thing with like O'Brien in Ireland, the O kind of means descendant of. So a lot of these names, you know, again, are just showing family lineage, you know, ancestral in a sense, uh, hereditary in a sense. But uh, that's another category. And then you have the fourth category, which you mentioned, which are nicknames. And those are the fun ones. Oh, that's right. The nicknames. The, the nicknames, which are basically the ones that tend to be descriptive. Uh, Some of these are very common today. You know, a name like long, usually meant a tall person, short, little, young, black, usually referred to someone's hair color, white, someone, again, hair color, usually lighter colored hair, Armstrong, you know, Newman, Newman was literally a new man. It was someone who was new in town. Hey, you know, he was a Newman. So, uh, Truman. Truman was someone who was a truthful guy, a guy you could trust. He was honest. Oh, trustworthy. Yeah. Darwin is a good one. Uh, Win meant friend in Old English. We actually mentioned that earlier with names like Edwin and Godwin. Well, Darwin is Darwin. means dear friend. Dear friend. Oh, I like that. But then you get some really funny ones. Uh, in some of the literature, you find a name like, say, Edwin Katnessa, which is literally Edwin Cat's nose. Oh because gosh. he had a, an, apparently a nose that resembled a cat. And you get some really interesting ones. Um, the word bad, you know, B-A-D, it's one of the most common words in the English language. Well, it first appears in surnames describing people. And we have names like Bad cheese. Bad cheese. I don't know what it meant. May have many smell like bad cheese. I don't know. Bad in the head. It means bad in the head. So someone who wasn't quite right, maybe yeah. a little off. They were bad in the head. Uh, never afraid. Someone who was never afraid. Stand upright means stand upright. Someone who was upstanding. So we get these kinds of uh, you know surnames. Yeah, I found that uh, Kennedy meant ugly head, and I, I looked all over and I or ugly or misshapen head, mm-hmm. and people didn't realize it because it's most identified with, of course, the Kennedy family here in the U.S. But if you look up the actual definition, it's not so great. <laughs> Well, it's funny. It's funny where names come from. Yeah, I mean, it's a, you, you'd be surprised. And a lot of them, you know, and I have to say in doing my research for the podcast, I'm always surprised. And a lot of these names, you know, I, I, a name like Palmer, I, I never really knew what Palmer meant. Well, a Palmer was a pilgrim and specifically someone, a pilgrim who had been to the Near East and they always brought back a palm or a sprig from a palm tree as a souvenir. And so someone who brought a palm back home was a palmer, was a pilgrim. So at any rate, a lot of these names have a, a, a deep and interesting history behind them uh, if you trace them down. Yeah, I love names. There's just so much to research and find out about. And I think that they give us an insight into the history of ourselves as well. So, uh, Kevin, this has been so fascinating. Thank you for joining us. And how can people find the History of English podcast? Well, it, that's the name. It's the History of English Podcast. So wherever you listen to podcasts, you know, your favorite podcatcher, it should be there. Uh, it's a chronological history, and I'm currently 
in the Middle English period around the time of Geoffrey Chaucer. So I'm, I've still got a, a long way to go, but uh, hopefully you, do, you, do, you don't need to have a background in English or history, hopefully, to enjoy it. I think it, I try to make it accessible to everyone. What a fun project. Thank you again for joining us. And if you want to find Kevin, go over to the History of English podcast and specifically look for that episode on names. He gives a lot more detail than what we were able to cover here. Are you having a hard time coming up with names that both you and your partner love? Then get yourself a copy of the Baby Names Workbook, a step-by-step do-it-yourself guide to finding the perfect name. The Baby Names Workbook gives tips and advice on where to find baby name inspiration, the best way to name storm with your partner, and how to whittle down your list so you can find the perfect name. It's an actual workbook that you write in, so buy one for each partner. You can start saving cool names you come across, as well as names to avoid, like names of exes, childhood bullies, and that annoying guy at work who just won't shut up. (laughs) And it's the perfect size to keep in your purse or backpack. It's available in print at Amazon.com. Just search for The Baby Names Workbook by Jennifer Moss. And now it's time for Celebrity Baby News. It's been announced that the royal baby's been born to Meghan Markle and Prince Harry, and it's a boy. The newborn is seventh in line to the British throne behind Prince Harry. Harry was over the moon when he spoke to the press. He said, quote, It's been the most amazing experience I could ever have possibly imagined. How any woman does what they do is beyond comprehension, unquote. I think that's really cute. So no name has been announced as of this recording. But for up-to-the-minute celebrity and royal baby news, follow us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash babynames.com with the dot spelled out D-O-T. Yep. Or check out our baby blog at babynames.com slash blogs. Real Housewives of Orange County alum Gretchen Rossi and her fiancé Slade Smiley, what a name, have announced the names that they've picked out for their unborn daughter. The little girl will be named Skylar Gray. The couple struggled with infertility for many years and began IVF treatments in 2014. Gretchen told People Magazine that she loved the name Skylar for many years and that Slade immediately took to it. She said it represented God during her IVF journey. The middle name Gray honors Slade's 18-year-old son, Grayson, who has fought brain cancer since he was six years old. Hmm. Former Today host Tamron Hall and husband Steve Greener have welcomed their first child, a son named Moses. They only recently announced her pregnancy, waiting until she was 32 weeks along, and her doctors told her it was safe to do so. Hall and Green married in 2018. The name Moses is of Egyptian origin and means born of God. On April 29th, country singer Jake Owen and his girlfriend Erica Hartline welcomed their first child together, a daughter named Paris Hartley. Paris is Owen's second child. He's also dad to a six-year-old daughter, Olive Pearl, with his ex-wife, Lacey Buchanan. 
Carolina Panthers quarterback Cam Newton and longtime girlfriend Kia Proctor have announced they are pregnant with their fourth child. Kia has a 12-year-old daughter, Shakira, from a previous relationship. The new baby will join older siblings Chosen Sebastian, who's three, Sovereign Dior Cambella, who's two, and Camidus Swain, 10 months. Chosen, Sovereign, and Camidus. What do you think about those, Mom? Well, I don't like Sovereign. It's one of those exalted names. Same with chosen because it's like mm-hmm. you're the chosen one. I don't have any idea what Kamidas means or Kamidas. I don't know. Yeah. I'd, I'll have what to about Shakira? Shakira. I like Shakira. That's cool. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, super couple Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively revealed at the Detective Pikachu premiere that they are expecting their third child together. Husband and wife actors married in 2012 and have two daughters, James, four, and Inez, two. They waited a while also to announce this baby to the world, as the press is guessing Blake is already in her third trimester. I think James is kind of a cool name for a girl. I haven't heard it it used like that before. Yeah. Well, actress Kira Knightley is expecting her second child with husband musician James Wrighton. Knightley and Wrighton married in 2013 and have one child together, a four-year-old daughter named Edie Knightley Wrighton. Oh, cute. R&B singer Keisha Cole, 37, is expecting her second child with 23-year-old boyfriend Nico Kale. Woo-hoo. Their baby will join Keisha's nine-year-old son, Daniel, from ex-husband basketball player Booby Gibson, <laughs> real name Daniel. Oh, good. I was worried. Although she and Booby split in 2014, the buzz is that the divorce is not yet final. Ooh, I think she now appears on Love & Hip Hop, so go watch that for the full story. All right, and now it's time for our segment where we take questions from you, our listeners. We only have one today. Hi, Jennifer and Mallory and Miranda. I'm a big fan of the podcast. Yay! I'm 22 and not planning on having a child anytime soon, but I've been obsessed with names and naming since I was in elementary school. I studied the Middle East at college, and I take Arabic. Recently, I was in Palestine and met a Syrian woman whose daughter was named Sina, S-E-N-A, or Sena, meaning lightning of the storm. I think this is a beautiful name with a wonderful meaning. So do you think it's okay to name my child an Arabic name if I'm not Arab myself? I would never want to be insensitive or engage in cultural appropriation, but if Sina has no religious meaning, could I use it in a culturally appreciative way? I would love to hear your thoughts on naming children something from another culture, and if this can be done, best may. Okay, so I'll put in my two cents because we've talked about this in previous episodes about cultural appropriation in baby naming. And I think Sina is perfectly okay. It's just borrowing a name from another culture. It's not the name of a god. It's not the name of a tribe. You know, we talked about using tribal names from Native Americans, and they really don't want you to do that for white babies. But I think Sina is a simple enough name that it crosses over in cultures and would be perfectly okay. What do you think of Miranda? Well, I think that people name their children 
names that they don't even know what the origin of just because they like the sound of it. So I think just the fact that you uh, or that May is keeping that in mind is sensitive enough. Um, And like you said, it's not a religious name. And so it's not really that she's claiming anything for herself. I think it's a really pretty name. Yeah. So go for it, May, whenever you decide to have children or a dog or a cat. (laughs) Hey, listeners, Mallory and I have been appearing on some other podcasts lately as their featured guests. Check out the Common Sense Pregnancy, Parenting, and Politics with host Jeannie Faulkner. The podcast delivers insider advice you need during pregnancy, labor, birth, and parenthood. We'll be appearing on an upcoming episode. I also talked to Christine and Sonny on their podcast, Twin Talks. We have a great conversation about naming traditions, naming conventions, and how to choose names from multiples in particular. Twin Talks is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen. Now, Miranda and I are off to Canada. I'll let you know if and when we return. I'm so excited. And, Mom, we have to return because the Social Security baby list is coming out next week. That's right, folks. Watch for the top U.S. names of 2018 to be released soon from the U.S. Social Security Office. We'll discuss them on our next show. Thank you, sweetie, for subbing today. And listeners, please check out Miranda's blog at slashedbeauty.com. It's all about beauty on a budget. Bye, babe. See you in a couple days. Bye, mama. Love you. Love you, too. 